My wife and I were talking about resting faces, you know, the natural way that our face looks. For example, my nine-year-old Luke, we call him Luke of the Perpetual Smile. He gets that from his mom. And then there's our uh, old dog, Ruby the Wonder Dog. She always looks anxious. I think she's always worried we're going to forget to give her dinner. And then there's our younger dog, Josie. Josie always looks so sad, like she has the saddest life. We call her Josie Blue. And then there's Jack, who's five, and Jack was born with an angry face. And I understand where Jack gets that because, well, I am an angry person. I know you can't uh, tell that just by looking at me because I tend to internalize my anger. And I didn't even realize I had an anger problem until I was 35 and I went through a divorce and a church fired me and my life came apart. I became so depressed and suicidal. My former church sent me to a retreat center in Pennsylvania, a place that I like to call crazy pastor camp. The uh, irony of the acronym CPC tells you something about God's sense of humor. And for the whole month I was there, the only topic they talked about with all the pastors was anger. So that told me that all pastors who crash and burn struggle with anger. I bet none of them knew that they had an anger problem. How about you? I think so often as good Christians, we wonder, is it okay for me to be angry? And especially, is it okay for me to be angry at God? I learned a lot of helpful things at Crazy Pastor Camp about anger. Like, uh, anger is your body's alarm telling you that is wrong. Anger is fundamentally a moral emotion. Anger always passes judgment. Anger defends those it cares about. To love deeply is to be deeply angry when someone you loved or yourself are victims of injustice. And so you can start to see that anger is actually generally a good thing. Our problem with anger is around what we are angry about and how we respond in our anger. Anger at its best communicates protective love for what God cares about and at its worst, sinful anger seeks to protect our selfish desires. Anger needs to be expressed in healthy ways. When we do that, it actually moves us towards positive change. Anger unexpressed is internalized and generally makes us depressed. And anger out of control, obviously, is extremely destructive to relationships and society. So following my uh, trip to Crazy Pastor Camp, I, I spent seven years in therapy, primarily dealing with my anger at myself, at my anger for how that church treated me, and most of all, we spent time talking about my anger towards God. I know, I know that many of you just can't even imagine being angry at God, but I think for many people, we carry around anger for God for something that he has allowed to happen to us. If God is sovereign over the whole world, then it begs the question, God, why did you allow this to happen? And there are so many of these kinds of questions, questions that actually point towards things that are very broken in our fallen world. Questions like, why did my child have to die? 
Why do you allow racism and injustice to run rampant in the world? Why won't you take away my addictive compulsions? Why am I not married yet? Why is it so hard for us to have a child? What is your why question for God? And when we are in that hard place, it is natural for us to think, God, if you love me so much, you sure have a weird way of showing it. Healing from the hard things in our life and in our world come through the process of lament. Lament gives us words for our heavy emotions. The Psalms are full of lamentation. Four of our sermons in this series, in fact, are about the process of lament. In fact, Emily is going to spend a whole sermon on lamentation in a few weeks. But dealing with our anger towards God is an important step in the journey toward healing and growth. I toyed with calling this sermon Disappointment with God. But I think so often we tend to minimize our anger. We're afraid that maybe God won't think we're being Minnesota nice, so we tend to call it like, I don't know, frustrated, annoyed, irritated, disappointment. But these are all code words for the anger that is below the surface. Today we're going to look at Psalm 13. It is a classic psalm of lament and see what we can learn about dealing with our anger towards God. And maybe you're never angry at God, but we can learn some things about how do we deal with anger towards other people. And certainly when you're angry at someone else, a good place to begin is to begin by talking to God about it. So this psalm is written by David, a man who was wounded by his sin, but he's also described as a man after God's own heart. And in this psalm, David shows us that we can say anything to God. We see how David lives out Jesus' command to pray by asking, seeking, and knocking as a way to process our anger. So let's begin by looking at the first two verses of David's lament. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long, O Lord? Four times David cries out, How long, O Lord? Like, this is a prayer that we can relate to, right? Like, Oh, how long, O Lord, will my back hurt? Or how long, O Lord, will my child be rebellious? How long, O Lord, will it take for me to get a job? How long, O Lord, will the coronavirus upend our lives? It doesn't always take a tragedy in our life to ask God why or how long. David brings his complaints to God with honesty and directness that are rooted in his relationship with God. He is confident that God can take it. If we are reticent to have this kind of honesty with God, maybe we don't know who God really is or we have forgotten his big love for us. David models for us the kind of belief that all of us can have in God, a belief that emboldens us to be honest with God and with ourselves when we are angry and hurting. The alternative is to bottle up all that anger inside us, minimizing our true feelings or denying its existence. And that can lead to dangerous impacts on our emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Our unresolved anger becomes a petri dish that grows all kinds of toxic things in our life. Things like bitterness and depression and ulcers 
and the need to medicate all that discomfort. We can also see these verses on anger start, start to skew our theology. The Bible continually tells me that God loves me, that God is with me, that God is for me. But when I'm angry and in distress, it sure doesn't feel like it. What does David say here? He says, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? And these feelings make our bad situation feel even worse, don't they? This makes it even more important for us to take these feelings to God. Because in reality, God has not turned away. Our anger can blind us to what we otherwise know is true about God. That he never changes. His love for you never wavers. He never turns against you. He is always for you. And the truth is, the more we come to God with our honest anger, the stronger our belief in him and in his love becomes. So the most important thing we can do when we are angry is to talk to God about it. Philip Yancey says, it is better to be angry with God than angry without him. We really can't say anything to God in our anger. He will not hold it against us. In fact, in his great love, he takes our angry offering and he uses it for our healing. I mentioned that I spent seven years in therapy talking about my anger. And in the digital bulletin and on this slide, we see a chart my therapist used with me to process my anger. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but I think it helps us visualize what is going on in the background of our heart and mind when we are angry. You see, here in the left column, we see the feelings and steps involved to process our anger in a healthy way, a way that leads to healing and restoration. And the right side shows us what happens when we skip steps and the destructive effects on our souls, not to mention in our relationship with others. So you can see, for me, my internalized anger turned into deep depression and despair until I learned to acknowledge my anger and talk to God about it. Healthy ways to express our anger include prayer and journaling, but I also want to emphasize that for big hurts in life, it is really important to work with a good therapist. I also want us to know that there are many times in life when it is good and right to be angry. Ephesians tells us to be angry, but do not sin in your anger. So sometimes people sin against us, and it is right to be angry. Or someone sins against someone we love, and it is right to be angry. And sometimes, to our shock and disbelief, we witness a brother in Christ killed by a policeman. There would be something wrong with us, wouldn't there, if we were not angry? We should be angry when there is an injustice. We know that the injustice angers God too, so we can run to Jesus in our anger. Dane Ortland says, Be comforted by this. Jesus is angry alongside you. He joins you in your anger. Indeed, he is angrier than you could ever be about the wrong done to you. Your just anger is a shadow of his, and his anger, unlike yours, has zero taint of sin in it. As you consider those who have wronged you, let Jesus be angry on your behalf. His anger can be trusted, for it is an anger that springs from his compassion to you. So now we see that David moves from asking why 
to seeking help. Verses 3 and 4. David says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. David asked God for help. But the help he asked for isn't what I usually ask for. I usually ask God to fix the problem. No, David instead asked God to enlighten his eyes. And it is a phrase that is full of meaning. In the Bible, the eyes are often referred to as a way to understand one's emotional or spiritual health. So dim eyes refer to having poor health. But we see here that David is absolutely desperate for God to intervene. He knows that life comes from a close relationship with the Lord and he longs for that feeling to return. And he begs God to enlighten his eyes and enlighten the load that his soul is carrying. The idea of enlightenment also means to have understanding. So often when we are angry at God or at other people, what, sta what stands in our way of having understanding is our pride, especially when we have justification to be angry. The truth is, I am never more dangerous than when I am right. It is hard to love people well when you are right and angry. How do you treat a coworker or your children when you have justification to be angry at them? I experience this daily when one of my kids is, <clears throat> excuse me, is disobedient to, towards their mom. My reaction to their disobedience is too often an unloving overreaction. One of the best things we can do about anger in our life is to cultivate humility. A humble heart is honest to God about one's feelings. A proud heart wants only to exact an eye for an eye. A humble heart entrusts one's enemies to God. A proud heart demonizes the ones they are angry at. Humility speaks honestly about what it knows and what it doesn't know. It asks real questions. It listens to the answers. Whereas self-righteous anger seizes the microphone and rants. Approaching our anger with humility can enlighten us to see the truth. You see, the truth is that Jesus is always pursuing us, even when we are angry at him. The truth is that Jesus is the one hanging on to us, not the other way around. And the truth is that no one can love us better than Jesus can. Tim Keller says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Wow, that's a big statement. You see, when I am angry at God, that is so hard to believe. But when I approach God with humility and a soft heart, I can start to believe that that is true for me. So we have seen David move from asking to seeking and then finally to knocking. Knocking is believing in the promises of God. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. David says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David remembers who God is. The very character of God is love and mercy. His mercy abounds anew each morning. 
And if God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell for you, you can trust him to walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Jesus' death on the cross deals with all my anger, whether it's just or unjust. When I was in therapy, I just wrestled so much with Jesus and my anger. I'd be like, Jesus, how in the world could you die on the cross for that person? Didn't you see what that person did to me? And I mentioned earlier that I was angry at myself for the mistakes I made during and after my first marriage, and and I couldn't forgive myself. And I would hear Jesus say, James, didn't, didn't I die well enough for all of your sins? My anger refused to let me accept grace for myself. And my anger kept me from giving forgiveness to other people. But I was finally broken by seeing both the depths of my sin, but even more, seeing the wonders of God's grace through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. My ability to forgive others came through seeing my huge need for God's grace and learning to receive that grace for myself. I still struggle a lot with anger, but I'm much quicker to see it than I used to be. And so often I confess my anger is really much like a toddler's anger because I didn't get my way. And the places where I am angry or anxious are the pressure points where Jesus speaks to me. So often the path to my own personal growth goes through my anger because the obstacle to my growth is my selfishness. I struggle with dying to my selfish desires and allowing Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I see myself so often in my five-year-old Jack, who frequently has fits of anger. And Jack had a terrible, awful, no-good day right after his brother's birthday. Jack was tired of quarantine. He was tired of not getting enough attention, and he was sad that it wasn't his birthday. So Jack had a whole day of rage that culminated with him putting four holes in his bedroom door, taking everything out of his closet and his drawer, and spewing a million Legos around his room. All this happened while mom was out on a walk, and Jack asked me, when is mom coming back? So I capitalized on that moment, and I said, well, she'll come back when you apologize. So Jack sent his mom the sweetest apology video. And his mom responded back by saying, by reminding Jack about the cross, that Jesus died for all of Jack's sins, for all his rage and destruction, and that Jesus did this because he loves Jack. What we need in all our anger is repentance. But getting to repentance may happen in one afternoon, or it might take seven years. It can be a process. But repentance is turning from unbelief to belief. Trusting that God loves us. Turning to God and receiving his grace through Christ's shed blood. Repentance means trusting in Jesus even though I don't fully understand why bad things happen. So let us come before God when we are angry, frustrated, or irritated with our life. And like David, let's be honest with our emotions, asking, how long, O Lord? And let us seek God's intervention and understanding, and then knock. 
believing in the promises of God, allowing what Jesus has done for us to permeate our hurt, our pain, and our anger so that we are drawn deeper into his grace, salvation, and love, a love that never leaves us, a love that never forsakes us, a love that is always with us.